Ladies and gentlemen, normalize phone calls. Normalize phone calls, especially when I have to trek for an hour for a five minute appointment. It could be done, you guessed it, with a phone call. And the words pod chemist Chuck D, read the noise. Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in circumstances. I'm just sick of it. I'm just sick of it. I don't. I don't. I don't get why some appointments can just be done with a phone call. You know what I mean? Am I being a dickhead? You know what I mean? I just. I just. I don't know, man. It's just really, really jarring. It's <laughs> just. Just having to trek. Uh, to a appointment and it's just consistently shafting me uh, and uh, I have to trek there and then it's just done in it's done in a bit it's done in literally a couple of minutes and then I have to trek back and you know I know some people don't have to travel as much but you know I do I didn't want to take a bus right same as some P didn't want to take the bus I'm being frugal right so I trek there and it's five minutes so I'm just like oh it's not worth it <laughs> It's just, it's just not worth it, ladies and gentlemen. It's just not friggin' worth it. But yeah, yeah man, it is what it is. That's, that's my that's my moan about life over with. Get out of the way. But yeah, you know, what else is there? Nothing. I've been. It's, it's been a dead month for me. Like literally, apart from cross the tracks, it's been literally a dead month for me. Um, for various reasons. But yeah, it's just um, yeah, just just. Pfft. Yeah, let's let's get let's get on July. Fuck it, why not? <laughs> Another month of uh, decent weather and nothing to do. Well, nothing to do, nothing nothing I can do. Let's just say that because I want to do shit, um, but I can't for for various reasons. Um, but you know, I did some writing. I was I was kind of like stuck in kind of like a rut writing wise. Um, and now I'm out of it. Um, I literally just wrote like 15 pages in the past few days. So, you know, and apart from that, whatever. <laughs> it's that's the only positive I could take from this month, apart from uh apart from going across the tracks. So with that said, let's jump right in. Uh we have a culture society media and film and TV uh segments for you guys on this episode. And uh with that said, formatties before we begin. Email Twitter, Discord link, all that, all that, all that in the full show notes. Go give the articles a read, give them a read for yourself. And support the writers that make this show possible. And with that said, let it be drop. And let's get into the show. In a week where the Conservatives lose two more seats after by-elections in Wakefield, Tiverton, Honiton. Um, just, you know, it's, it's weird. I don't know if I've said this on the pod yet, but, um, I'm, I'm <laughs> how crazy is, uh, uh, what a, what five months slash six months makes? Like, it's, it, the, the changes that can come in half a year. At the start of the year, I was like, Johnson out. I want Johnson out. I want Johnson out. I want Johnson out. But now, I want you to stay. Stay as long as you like, bruv. Keep going. Keep, just keep going, because 
uh, you know, as uh, I mean, I didn't I didn't put it in a week where, but um, Scotland have triggered a, uh, a, a another referendum. They're going to do that again, um, and hopefully they'll succeed. But even with that said, they you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of window dressing if anything. I don't know if they can actually do it. It's very hard to do it, do it, but. Um, the intent is there for sure. So you know, I'm just, I just want, I just want the conservatives to be a power, just, just for as long as possible at this point, because they can't do anything right. They literally can't do something right. Impossible difficulty. Like they literally can't do it. Like, it's impossible for them. And I'm, I'm enjoying it now. I'm enjoying it. I'm reveling in it. I'm, yeah, I'm reveling in it. In it. Reveling in it. I'm, I'm, I'm basking in this. It's great. It's, it's wonderful. Just keep fucking up, guys. Keep fucking up. See, see what. Keep fucking up, and we will find out one day. Um, I hope somebody's um, keeping note of all the bullshit um, that uh, the Conservatives have done in the past 10 years, 10, 12 years now, because I need that full list right there for whenever, ever, ever, ever anyone tells me that Conservatives, that anybody should vote Conservative. I, I want that list. I want that fat list. Um, but yeah. One day, um, the U.S. Supreme Court officially overturned Roe v. Wade, uh, basically uh, making abortion um, uh, well not a constitutional right. If uh, is the specific term for it, um, there are some. St- it's, it's basically been moved on to states' rights. It's not a federal thing anymore. It's states' rights. So you know, um, and uh, the U.K. is right behind, right behind them. Honestly, um, you know, there's, there's people, there's people up there again. Conservatives um, making uh, what was what was the dude's name? Ah, oh, there was some fucker's name that was like literally, literally just said the loud, loud part, the uh, quiet part out loud, like saying women, women don't deserve the right to, <laughs> to for body autonomy. And I'm just like, whoa, okay. Um, so yeah, it's 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 like that, ladies and gentlemen. It's it's happening. Like you think you think it's just the US, but that's a precedent set. There's gonna be a lot of anti-abortion people in around the world. Um, uh, 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 Gassed up about this and uh, and motivated. If it can happen in the US, it can happen anywhere. Um, literally, the 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 if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Term that people use for New York, but in the worst way, basically. <laughs> uh, Prince Charles uh, takes uh, is taking three million uh, in in Qatari money, and uh, apparently he's going to stop doing that. Um, uh, so or stop taking money for his charity. So so what your charity's fucked. That's that's basically what you're saying. It's not a charity then, is it? Was it a charity all along? Who knows? Uh, Glassbury comes and goes after two years out. I didn't mind it. You know what I mean? It's cool. Um, I still won't ever... I don't I don't have the end. I don't want to go Glastonbury ever in my life, to be honest. I just don't feel like that's kind of my... That's not, that's not my steez. Uh, but there were some great performances. Um, if I can recommend two, uh, I'll say Little Sims um, and uh, Leanne Havis. Um, I think most of, the, most of the artists, even Sims in some way, most of the artists I... List, I um, I watched uh, uh, most of the performances. I watched the mic, the the, the vocals weren't as the the levels weren't great. You know, I mean, the mix wasn't working that hard. Um, some you know, for someone like Joy Crooks, for example, right? Sometimes I I watched them. I watched them. My mum and she just kept saying the obvious shit. It's like, can you hear her? I can't. I'm just like, yes, mum, can't hear her. It's just, it's a festival. The audio is not going to be perfect all the time. You know what I mean? So you have to do that sometimes when you watch that. You have to give it a benefit of a doubt and try and enjoy the what you can get, you know what I mean? What is good. Um, but yeah, it, it, she was right. So, you know, but I just I just hate her just constantly she said it like several times. I'm just like, yes, we get it, it's can't hear her, fuck. Like, just listen to music or something, like whatever. Anyway, um, but yeah, it's it's Glastonbury. And uh, I do have thoughts about the Kendrick thing, but yeah, so, yeah. 
I'm, I'm all Kendrick's out to be honest. Like all this talk of Mr. Morale, I'm done with it. Honestly, it's, it's getting boring. And lastly, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell is uh, sentenced to 20 years in prison. Um, so yeah. So let's begin. Um, let's begin with America. Fuck it. Let's do it. Um, so this is an opinion piece uh, by uh, Miss uh, Pam- Pamela Paul. Um, it's just a small little, small little op-ed here. Um, opinion columnist for the Times uh, was the editor of the uh, NY Times book review, and is also author of eight books, including Hundred Things We Lost the Internet, um, which I actually do want to peep because um, there was. I remember listening to, to a podcast uh, uh, of someone interviewing her about it and just talking about you know how the world's changed through. Uh, I think it's an interesting lens to see how the world's changed, um, to see what stuff has been you know rendered obsolete by the internet. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm I'm gonna see if it's on audiobook, and if not, I'll might copy on book one day. Who knows? Um, but yes, this is called um, America the Merciless. Um, she, so she basically turns this into kind of like a book recommendation thing. Um, but there's some good commentary, um, I think, beside it. And I kind of just wanted to go general commentary. Um, uh, I think I think there's, I think mean, I mean, for me personally, I think it's very obvious um, where. Uh, the abortion stuff um, and uh, gun rights, I think. So I find it all completely a logical battle, but um, a lot of these decisions being made are purely not made out of logic. Um, They are made out of spite. They are made out of some form of manifest destiny or some uh, uh, remnants of manifest destiny and and just religious... Tyranny in some way, you know, it's, it's crazy. I think uh, I was this to one. I was this to one pod. I think it was um, it might have been the Ezra Klein show. Speaking of the New York Times, funny enough. Um, and uh, one uh, one of the one of his guests said um the oh was it oh no 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 it was you know what it was it was Guardians to Name Focus right so I was, I was they were talking about that on one episode I think it was on Tuesday, um or Monday, and um. They basically said that um, anti-abortion rights people in America um, are the most organized minority, uh, I don't know, collective um, in the world, and that just blew my mind. That just as as a as a as a statement, it blew my mind. Just thinking how organized they are to get to this point is crazy. Anyway, let's jump right into the cycle uh, from uh, Miss Paul. As the 4th of July looms... Oh, yeah, it does as well. <laughs> Have fun with that one. Jesus Christ. Right. Um, as the 4th of July uh, looms with its flags and its barbecues and its full-throated patriotism, I find myself mulling over the idea of American exceptionalism. What, if anything, makes this country different from other countries or from the rest of the developed world in terms of morals or ideals? In what ways do our distinct values inform how America treats its own citizens? I land on a distinct absence of mercy. Witness the ruthless evisceration of Roe v. Wade and the expansion of the right to carry guns in public in the wake of two horrific mass shootings, both courtesy of a Supreme Court that is supposedly the institution vested with carrying out the highest standard of justice for its citizens and yet is wholly indifferent to the lives of America's women, children and families. Witness the horrors of January 6th on our, or our mismanagement of the pandemic. Witness a healthcare system that continues to see human beings as walking P and L's rather than as people deserving compassion and care. What does P and L's mean, by the way? 
I, I would look it up, but I'm reading. So, um, I can't help but see a particular American bent towards cruelty, especially when it comes to life or death matters, with a merciless streak that dictates not only how we live, but also the laws around who dies. Three books I read over the pandemic brought these issues to the fore for me, offering broader and deeper context. Two of the books are explicit about the question of mercy in their titles, both published in 2014. Brian Stevenson's Just Mercy, A Story of Justice and Redemption. Um, great uh, fucking film, by the way. I haven't I haven't read the book, um, but I have uh, seen the film, and the film is literally one of the most underrated films of the past uh, few years. It was absolutely... I saw it in a cinema. It was like... It was like there was only one showing of it. Um, I was like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna go see it," and it was just outstanding. Like, I, it nearly brought me to tears. Like, and I, I'm not a crier during films, but I was so close. Like, there's one scene. Oh my gosh, crazy. Anyway, and Anand Giraharadas, uh, the true American murder and mercy in Texas, each highlighting this country's penchant. Was it penchant uh, for condemning to uh, death uh, those who might wish to live? The third published this year is Amy Bloom's In Love, A Memoir of Love and Loss, which looks at the flip side of that equation, a heartlessness when someone close to death wishes to die. When it comes to someone fighting for his life on uh, death row or someone longing for the right to die at life's end, America generally goes with the least empathetic option. The laws on both capital punishment and physician-assisted suicide are clear. Our enthusiasm for the death penalty puts us in the same camp as China, Iran, and 16 other countries that killed its citizens in 2020. As of early June, America had put seven people to death. As for end-of-life laws, uh, euthanasia, which permits a doctor to, to administer, for example, a lethal dose of morphine to a suffering patient, is illegal across the United States. Only 10 states and the District of Columbia allow for physician-assisted suicide, which generally enables a terminally ill person strictly within six months of dying to administer the means or of his or her own death. Stevenson's Just Mercy, which has spent 281 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, is probably the best known of the three books, a forceful, persuasive, and is unpersuasive indictment of our criminal, criminal justice system. Just Mercy makes alarmingly clear how stacked it is against those least equipped to push back. It's a system that has all but abandoned efforts towards rehabilitation and instead continues to punish further felon, uh, former felons long after they leave prison. A system increasingly privatised that is more concerned with maximising profits than, than with improving lives. A system that leaves little room for compassion or redemption. Among the lines from the book that stay with me, quote, Fear and anger can make us vindictive and abusive, unjust and unfair, until we all suffer from the absence of mercy and we condemn ourselves as much as we victimise others. Unquote. The second book, Giri Haridas's uh, uh, True American, tells the story of Raisuddin Buyan, Buyan, a Bangladeshi immigrant who in September 2001 was shot in the face by a white supremacist, Mark Stroman, uh, and then unsuccessfully urged clemency for the uh, for his uh, would-be assassin. Uh, the th Through the story of these uh, two men and the skewed morality of the justice system that failed them, we see how the country squandered its brief moment of post-9-11 cohesion. A sense of cohesion gave way to us versus them, abetted by easy access to firearms and hate mongering. Uh, among the lines to stay with me, quoting from Stroman's legal team, quote, there is nothing illogical about a system where society does not always 
fulfill the victim's desire for revenge, but always respects the victim's desire for mercy, unquote. Bloom's memoir may seem to have little in common with the other two, but America's indifference towards those sufferings at the end of their life, uh, lives offer, offers a startling contrast to those waiting out their uh, attenuated, yeah, I think that's atten- attenuated lives on death row. Excuse me. Uh, in January 2020, Bloom accompanied her 66-year-old husband, Brian, recently diagnosed with Alzheimer's, to Zurich, the only place in the world where Americans can travel for, quote, painless, peaceful, and legal suicide, unquote. The few places in the United States where assisted suicide is allowed, in, uh, is allowed impo- imposed restrictions so exacting they are difficult for, or for people in-state and often nearly impossible for anyone out-of-state to meet. Brian's death comes uh, at his own wish and by his own hand. And while marked by grief, there is uh, there's nothing unwanted about it. This, I thought while reading, is how it's done. And yet we cannot do it this way here in America. Among the lines that stay with me, quoting the doctor, quote, uh, when any kind of right to diet legislation is proposed, the opposition shows up with $10 million as soon as it's about your right to choose, unquote. At our worst, we ourselves uh, display an undeniable strain of mercilessness in ways that have uh, come to pervade our culture. Minor mistakes are taken as capital offences. Apologies are often forced and true forgiveness, rare. In the push to identify and condemn an enemy, we fail to allow for people to make amends. Their drive towards justice and accountability too often veers towards blame, retribution and abnegation. Like that word, that's a great word. Well, then I won't end here with more blame. It would be inaccurate. In any case, to pin these policies entirely on the American people when polls suggest that most wouldn't choose these arrangements, a majority of Americans, 72% as of 2018, support euthanasia, and 65% as of 2018 support physician-assisted suicide. Around 6 in 10 Americans believe abortion should be legal in all or all, all most cases. A minority, about 39%, but still a sizable number of Americans oppose the death penalty. Yet majorities can see that innocent people might be killed and that in practice the current system is racist. It's worth asking ourselves as a nation what it, what it is about our political and legal systems that, lead, uh, that leads to so many policies that we Americans, even at our worst, don't necessarily support. How do we ask young people just starting out or older people who have seen so much progress reversed to care about a country that seems so determined to care so little for them? How do we celebrate on the 4th of July a country whose laws and institutions so often fail to bring out the best in us? I am seeing here only the worst side of what feels right now uh, like a broken country. Perhaps it is wise to bear in mind these words from Stevenson's book, quote, Each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done, unquote. I like to believe this holds true not only for us individually, but also collectively perhaps even as a nation. Well, shout out to uh, Pamela Paul um, on the end of that, especially very, very hopeful, um, I think, messaging. Me, however, I'm, I, I'm incredibly pessimistic. I've, 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 I've seen too much, you know what I mean? It gets to that point where I've just seen too much and I'm just like, I'm good. I'm good on all of this. Fuck all this. Like, because there's, there's a powerlessness that I feel. And that's probably the deep rooted, um, neuroses as to why I feel so pessimistic about most things about life um, and society in general and not just in the US I'm not really talking about the US here I'm kind of moonlighting it uh, to make it about the UK because 
in some ways is kind of it's getting very similar. You know, guys, I just saw I just saw a dude protesting out uh yesterday. Um, and he had a he had a big ass um he had a big ass speaker, and then the feds took the speaker away. What are we doing, man? Like seriously, that is some that's some that's some, that's crazy. That is some that's some fascism right there, boy. So you know, and like I said, abortion rights are not are not freely available, by the way. Um, unlike a lot of other countries, um, it has to be a certain in a certain way in a certain re- has to be have a reason to do it. Um, so it's not exactly full green light. Go get an abortion if you want to go get an abortion. You have to you have to jump through some hoops um, here in the UK, right? Uh, while that's not as bad as America, and why it's not um, you know bad as you know, I don't know, countries, some some countries in Africa, for example, right, or or, or the Middle East, it's it's still not perfect. Um, it's still not great. It should be green light. It should be green light. I don't care. Like you know, I don't, I don't care. Again, women's right to choose. It does. It's 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 so. <laughs> there's a there's a um there was a there was a little factoid about um one particular state. I think it was Michigan or Wisconsin. I think it's Michigan though. Where um, now because um, because uh, Roe v. Wade's gone, uh, they're basically using technically they're using laws that were enacted at a time when women weren't consi- when some people weren't cons- factually considered humans. You know what I mean? Um, so or treated like humans. Uh, so yeah, that that far away, and you know. As as an overall uh, uh, as an overall thought towards America as a as a country in general, um, the, the it all, it all, for me personally, I think it all comes back to the Constitution. Um, you can they they're called amendments for a reason, guys. That you you can amend a shit. You know what I mean? So um, I I think uh, on average, uh, countries that do are constitution based. Uh, they change their shit every twenty years or so, on average, right? And the U.S. hasn't changed it in two hundred years. <laughs> they haven't changed it in they haven't changed it in hundreds of years. Um, so you know, shit, man, like you're going off a lot of old shit, and that's their problem. They they just refuse to they refuse to change. And uh, in 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 the in, I thought Britain was better. Honestly, I'm being fa- I'm being real. I-, I genuinely thought the UK was better here. Um, I thought we were more compassionate, but clearly we're not. Um, clearly, the Tory Party have um, been uh, uh, just going he- mask off at this point. Like it's just they just okay. Let's just be. Let's just treat migrants like shit. Let's f- ship them off to Rwanda for no fucking reason, even though it takes more. It costs more money to do so. Let's just throw money at the problem. Um, you know and. Uh, literally today, I saw a headline saying uh, the, UK, uh, the government is not um, adhering to their climate change uh, uh, promises, quote unquote. So, what are we doing here? We're just we're just steadily going backwards, and uh, you know, and that's why I get pessimistic about a lot of things. Where it's just like, I, I, well, what do you expect? You, you, it's called. Con- what's the definition of conservative? Literally, what is? <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna look up the definition of conservative conservatory uh conservatory fucking hell wow I literally looked up conservatory not conservatives wow that's great conservatives conservatives there we go 
fuck, you know, man, that's that's hilarious. <laughs> All right, conservative, averse to change or innovation and holding traditional values. What the fuck is that going to do for anyone? What the fuck is it being averse to change going to do with anyone? We need to change. We need to innovate. And I'm not talking about capitalism kind of inv- innovation. I'm talking general societal innovation. We see a problem in society, fucking change it. You're seeing food banks, what do you think you should do about that? Maybe raise the minimum wage. Something like that. Something simple as that. Maybe a UBI. Something simple as that. I'm not I'm just shouting shit out. Anything. But just make a fucking change. You know what I mean? That's all I ask. That's all I ask. So, you know, while this is while the you know, the op ed was called American and Merciless, and I do and I do understand where exactly where she's coming from pertaining to the actual word of mercilessness. Um, America just does seem like that. It just, but you know, the UK is not far behind. I'm sorry, they're just not. The UK is not far behind. We make it out as if we're um, as if we're miles ahead of them. We're not. We're really not. Um, but you know, America is a third world country with a Gucci belt. Um, I, I, I've just, I heard that quote one time, and it's just seared into my brain. America. This is what it should just be called. America, a third world country with a Gucci belt. So talking about not moving on, we'll hop on to culture, and it is all about why modern culture is dying. That's literally the title. <laughs> uh, this is uh, written by Chris Harvey uh, via The Telegraph, and um, yeah, it's kind of, you know, Kate Bush, Paul McCartney, Top Gun, you know what I mean? It's, it's original ideas, you know what I mean? It's, just, it's not, well, they're not original ideas, they're, you know, rehashes, well, not rehashes. Or well, Cable, she's not rehashed, but you know, she's charting again. That's basically, you know what I mean? Bonaculture, fucking hell, it's just getting to the article. I, I teed that up terribly. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not perfect, ladies and gentlemen. Right? Give me a, give me, give me a break. A strange thing is happening in popular culture. This weekend, it will be dominated by an 80 year old man, Paul McCartney, headlining Glastonbury. In London's Hyde Park, a 78 year old man, Mick Jagger, will be leading out the last surviving Rolling Stones to sing songs about street fighting and sex. Meanwhile, 63-year-old Kate Bush is back at number one in the UK with Running Up That Hill, just as she was in uh, just uh, just as she was in 1978 as a willowy teenager with her debut single Wuthering Heights. She's even made the American top ten for the first time. Big up uh, Stranger Things. Uh, my mum's enjoying it, and that's all I care about. So yeah, uh, big up Stranger Things. Uh, of course, Glasgow's main headliner happens to be the finest pop melody writer that ever lived. Ooh. Okay, um, is that a hot take? I, I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't think of it. I, I'm, I'm trying to... I, I just, it seems like a hot take. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, I've lived, yet not too many would disagree that Paul McCartney made his last truly great album, Band on the Run, back in 1973, brackets, all, and almost, uh, almost all of Sto- uh, Stones' finest works date before that. While it's certain to be a mass celebration of a musical icon, hides an inescapable truth. The rock and roll moment in human history is all but over. 50 years ago, 1972, if you went into music, a trip to the record shop was full of possibilities. Exile on Mainstream was released that, uh, that year, as was the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust, Neil Young's Harvest, Roxy Music's self-titled debut, and Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace. 
If you like singles, you could pick up Walk on the Wild Side, Rocket Man, Superstition, Always on My Mind, Smoke on the Water, Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard, or if you preferred Schools Out by Alice Cooper. Last year in the UK, the only real competition was between Adele and Ed Sheeran. The British music industry already knew beyond doubt that these would be the two best-selling nights of 2021, only the order was to be decided. What was most revealing, though, about the end-of-year album charts was what was happening immediately. Uh, I saw two wases, and I, tri- I had to like slowly creep through it, happening immediately below uh, those two corporate dreadnoughts. Number three, ABBA. Number five, Queen. Number eight, John. Number nine, Fleetwood Mac. These were all greatest hits collections, apart from ABBA's Voyage, which was a carefully composed sim- simulacrum of uh, a classic ABBA from artists who have reached their peak, I would humbly suggest in 1977, 75, 73, and 77, respectively. God, this guy says all the takes, like, just just, just pinpointing the best moments of certain artists' careers. Jesus Christ, fair play, fair play, fair play. I respect the knowledge. Uh, clearly, the reason why these superstars still demand our attention is that nothing has come along to replace them. But why? Well, there are theories. And one of the most interesting ones comes from the experimental historian Adam... Uh, Mastro, Mastro Iannini, Mastroianini, Mastroianni, Mastroianni, I'm going to say that, who in a fascinating online essay digs into data relating to pop culture across the board. His starting point is film, and he comes to an uncomfortable conclusion, quote, at the top of the box office charts, original films have gone extinct, unquote. Mastroianni picks apart the argument that the film industry has always operated more or less along these lines by coding and graphing box office data from 1977 onwards. Why it shows is that up to the year 2000, about 25% of the highest grossing movies fitted the description above or were uh, cinematic universe expansions, such as Marvel films. But since 2010, he writes, quote, it's been over 50% every year. In recent years, it's been close to 100%, unquote. Go back a few years before his start date, to 1973, and the top 10 films seem barely fathomable now. In North America, cinema goers went to see The Exorcist, The Sting, American Graffiti, Papillon, uh, uh, and the last and last Tango in Paris, all originals. Bond made an entry, uh, number 9 with Live and Let Die, with Serpico and Jesus Christ Superstar doing well too. Mean Streets, Don't Look Now and The Wicker Man, not just original but seminal, were all released in the same year. Cut to 2022, and the release of Top Gun Maverick and Jurassic World Dominion. Sequels to ancient films that for one week in June accounted for 92% of the total UK box office. Wow, that's depressing. The reality of what is happening goes beyond the two-frotting appetite for Marvel movies, which refine human existence in all its sweetness and sadness into stories which everything ultimately comes down to how hard one can punch another being in the face. (laughs) Uh, that's a glorious uh, 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 boiling down of, of uh, MCU films. Sequels, prequels, remakes, reboots, and spin-offs. That's all we can expect from here on in. The movie industry has found the holy grail of how to make money. Spend a lot on brightly coloured, faster moving versions of the same films that they made before, and we will lap it up. If you don't want to watch Spider-Man, Bond, or the knife installment of Fast and Furious, tough. But Mastroianni has more bad news. Leaping off from film, he applies the same data analysis and discovers that the pattern is being repeated in television, music, books, and video games. In literature, really literature? Okay. In literature, 75% of authors in the top 10 in recent times have been there before. Right. Yep, sure. 
I actually saw an ad for uh, I think like John Le Carre's uh, last novel, Silver Lake or something like that, Silver something, and I was just like, he's still still writing. I find it I find it managed in how uh, people can just write novels forever. I just, I just find it fascinating, like James Patterson or uh, uh, Lee Child, you know what I mean, or. Uh, uh, I don't know Martina Cole from back in the day. I remember my mum used to be mad into Martina Cole. Uh, yeah, it's just just crazy how you know novelists can can just fucking factory work their shit and just constantly churn out. I don't know how they do that. It's crazy. Um, it, it's it's amazing to think about. Um, but yeah, it's still depressing. All right, so seventy five percent rules top ten. Uh, Reese Times been there before. In music, a smaller group of artists now tops the chart, and these lucky stars have more chart toppers than they used to. He has a name for this phenomenon, oligopoly, um, as and he compares it to a quote-unquote cartel of superstars claiming a larger and larger share of the market. Mastroianni theorizes... I love the name, by the way. Now that I'm getting it right. Uh, Mastroianni. That's great. Yeah, Mastroianni. That's great. Uh, theorizes on why it may be happening, such as the influence of ever more vast media conglomerates. Quote, big things like to eat, defeat, and outcompete smaller things, unquote which suggests that just maybe uh, it has something to do with the crushing forces of capital. But he makes a very interesting point. that The process... Ooh, put a pin in all that. Put a pin in that. I'm talking about that straight after. But he makes a very interesting point that the process was already underway before the internet really got going, making it easy to watch the same things on repeat, aided by publicity's new global reach and search engines that pushed the already famous. He suggests the proliferation of options makes choosing harder, so people go with names they know. As the Sherlock showrunner Stephen Moffat said to me recently, quote, Surely we've got to stop. There is now more to... I find it so ironic that he's saying this as he was the <coughs> Sherlock showrunner. Hilarious. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Stephen Moffat. Uh, yeah, surely you've got to stop. There is now more television than I would like to see than I have years left to watch. I I I I agree with that. I feel like it's just a lot of there's a lot of shit I'm missing. Um, it's the same with music. It's the same with books. You know what I mean? It's, it's the same with most things. There's just two. There's a lot of everything, and unless you're carnivorous with it, um, you're gonna miss a lot of shit. So you know, don't 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 cry over it. As I've as I've talked down, I've t- I've talked so many people down the ledge about it. It's like, oh, I'm not, I'm so I'm so rinsed. I, I can't. I can't. I've got nothing. Nothing to listen to, stuff like that. I'm just like, really? Really? Nothing to listen to? Nothing to watch? I hate when people say that. It pisses me off. Um, I would suggest, though, uh, there is an alternative explanation for what's happening. Culture is dying. uh, Lovers of high culture have long had to come to terms with the concept of an already past golden age. Classical music repertoires uh, return again and again to works from the late 18th to late 19th centuries. Opera companies still need Verdi, Buccini and Mozart to get bums on seats. And where would ballet at the Royal Opera House be today without Tchaikovsky and uh, Marius Petipa? Uh, this is not to downplay the many great achievements of those who came later. It's just that things begin to die, of, uh, die out over time. The fertile period after 1900 and before the First World War gives us almost all of Mahler's symphonies, Rachmaninoff's uh, piano concertos, number two and three, Debussy. Every time I see his name, I just think of that family guy uh, 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 cutaway. I love Debussy. Uh, uh, How do you say this? Uh, Peleas et Melisande, La Mer 
and prelude à l'après-midi d'un phone. Phone, 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 F-A-U-N-E, so weird to say in British accent, Ravel's Daphnis et Chloe, Strauss's Salon, and fucking hell, De Rosen Cavalier, Stravinsky's Firebird, Petrushka's uh, Petrushka and the Right of uh, Springford. Uh, fucking hell, so many shit. The Diaghilev's Ballet Russes. Oh, thank fuck for that. Stop naming, stop giving me names to say. Uh, it would be hard to make a case for a comparable clutch of uh, great works over a significantly longer period since the turn of the millennium. That's not to dismiss the 20th century work of, oh, here we go again. Fucking ton of names. Uh, Profikiev, no, Prokofiev. Uh, Benjamin Britten, Gershwin, John Cage, Ligeti, Philip Glass, Frederick Ashton, Martha Graham, uh, Martha Graham, sorry, uh, Kenneth Macmillan, or Pina Bausch. I love how I said sorry for that and I butchered the rest of it. Um, <laughs> it's just that you have to accept the pre- preponderance of what came before. In art, the process of oligopoly is absolutely at work. Try naming a Turner Prize winner from the past decade, let alone a nominee, then look at some of those who had been competing for the award before 2005. Grayson Perry, Steve McQueen, Tracy Emin, Chris Ophelia, Anish Kapoor. If you made it through the door in time, the possibilities were enormous. Kapoor has talked about the $65 billion international art market, of which contemporary art does more than half. Uh, quote, we play the game, dot, dot, dot. Are we makers of luxury goods? Does Louis Vuitton do it better, unquote? The re- uh, rewards for players in that game, which favours superstar names, means lots of zeros. Yet ever since Matisse and Picasso and the twin detonations of Kazmir Malevich's Black Square and Marcel Duchamp's Urinal Fountain, uh, art has been uh, operating in a space that is influenced by what came before. Even if it was Andy Warhol who forged the link to uh, mass consumption. In 2021, Damien Hirst created a series of 10,000 NFT works called The Currency. This, uh, this July, buyers must decide either to keep the digital token of ownership and see the artwork destroyed or give back the token and receive the work. There is nothing about this idea that is more radical or more witty than Duchamp making a signing and signing a fake cheque to settle a dentist's bill in 1919. His signature made it an artwork, which had value, art as a currency, a century ago. Uh, Hearst, of course, understands post-Warhol that his currency will make him a lot more money. In literature, the current hold of the Booker Prize, Damien Galgut, gave me what he described as an instinctive opinion like that word, uh, uh, that the modernist period of the early 20th century was when, quote, the novel, ha- the novel had reached its cultural heights. Uh, I do think we need to acknowledge, and everybody in this business is better off, if we could acknowledge that novels no longer occupy the central cultural position that they used to. They're far more of a marginal activity, unquote. He is not dependent about the fate of the novel, he insisted, but, quote, all sorts of devious devices are providing alternative forms of storytelling, unquote. Ah, yes, those devious devices. Anyone who has tried to watch a film uh, with a child of mobile phone-bearing age will know that attention spans are not what they used, uh, not what they were. Uh, it's not confined to the very young either, as the phone zombies lurching along every pavement prove. While millennial TV critic recently described the latest Sally Rooney TV adaptation, Conversations with Friends, as quote, "television designed to be watched out of the corner of your eye while scrolling through Instagram." <laughs> Oh, that's that's fucking amazing! It is mumblecore. Let's be real. Like that. That sh- I literally watched like a scene of that show, and I uh, in passing, um, it was just on the TV while my mum was uh, doing stuff and I was doing stuff, and it was just I watched the scene of it. I was just like, wow, this is 
this is low-key mumblecore. It's just like nothing's happened. It's just people chatting. Um, but will Instas and TikToks ultimately take the place of long-form visual narrative in the way that the three-minute single made the world shake? Fucking hope not. That's just me. Will NFTs lead to new great uh, great new art? Probably not. It seems inconceivable. The digi- uh, digital art that marries the vocabulary of graffiti to the aesthetic of 70s record designer Roger Dean has been around for ages. We only, we're only talking about it now because the forces of capital, crypto capital at that, make it seem interesting. Lots of people prefer talking about money to art. Uh, but the works of Vincent Van Gogh... Is it Van Gogh or Van Gogh? I forgot. I'd say it now. Uh, someone told me, but I forgot. Should tell us we all need to know about uh, and know about that. Perhaps that's why the theatre still seems to be alive and kicking. It's been more for love uh, than money for years. As the director, writer Patrick Marber put it, quote, I can't think of anyone who can make a living as a playwright. That's depressing. Television too seems to be a special case. The pressures of oligopoly have been acting on it for a long long time. Driving out small-scale dramas and slice-of-life plays. Pushing instead endless detective thrillers and murder stories at us. But their streaming revolution has unleashed an arms race among major powers that seem, uh, seems to have extended its golden age. Murder still looms large, and rema- uh, remakes and reboots are everywhere. But rarely a year goes by without another mark- remarkable original new work being created, such as Apple TV's recent Severance, which mixes thought-provoking ideas with surreal humour. Yet there is a suspic- suspicion uh, that the algorithms designed to feed us uh, more of what we liked before will soon put a stop to that. Of course... There will be still there will still be weeds and flowers growing through the cracks in the paved parking lot new of our new cultural landscape. But apart from these, it's concrete all the way. Can't wait for Top Gun Seven in twenty thirteen. Okay, <laughs> so, so that's a bit of a pessimistic finish. But um, yeah, um, oh, god damn. Like just a capital point I wanted to harp on. This has been is is a pretty long article, so I don't want to say too much. But um, the capital element, ah, uh, just just that bit, man. That really, that really hit me in in the head. That really hit me in the head, just as a as a as a point made. Um, and it is, it is. It's just, oh, it's just crumbling under capital. Um, yeah, yeah. people throw money at certain people, and that's all we get now. And that's all we get. It's just, it's so weird, isn't it? It's so weird how, um, you know, there's so many. Like big up the places like Mubi, for example, right? Because you know there, there's there's so many streaming sites more than you know. You can you can name probably I, I I think the average person can name like four five, but there are tons, and there are very uh, there are a lot of bespoke ones, right? And they all serve their purposes. Um, I believe you know some of those are out of love. Um, I I can't imagine it being you know a completely money thing, right? Um, I'm sure there's a uh, you know, we want to uh, we want to get money out of it. Element, right? As as we do most things in life, is capital is a world of capitalism after all. But you know, there's some there's still there's still some love feeling there. You know, what I mean, I had a I had a movie subscription during uh, my uni days, and you know, I didn't watch I I didn't watch as many films as I wanted to. Um, there was like one film I was watching, and I just forgot to watch the rest of it. Um, uh, so I see it's like Black Kids in Sweden, and it was just really fascinating. And I wish I finished it, but I, did, I, just, I don't remember what it is. I can't. I couldn't remember if you put a gun to my head. Um, that's all I know about it. And uh, you know, you ain't gonna find that anywhere else. You know, what I mean, you're not gonna find shit like that. That niche shit. Um, while I lament Spotify and street and music streaming, it, at least it gives me ability to, 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 to 
to discover for myself. And, you know, I can thank streaming for my very wide palette. Um, and I, I, well, I say very wide palette, I'm kind of flexing. You know, it's not, it's not as, I say, this is the thing, isn't it? When you, when you, when you gain knowledge in something, you realize how stupid you are. And I feel, I feel that way a lot of the times when I, when I, when I go through and find an artist, I'm just like, wow, I'm sleep, I'm sleep on this artist, I'm sleep on this artist. Like, how did I not discover this artist sooner? You know what I mean? You just feel like an idiot. Um, but it's not your, it's not your fault. It's not. Um, you just, you're just not exposed to that. You just don't ex- get exposed to that kind of thing. I, 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 I feel bad for people that just have, you know, Disney Plus and uh, a TV. And on all on the all us on the TV is just reruns of you know reruns of Blackadder, Only Fools and Horses, and uh, and and the Royal Family. Like you know, it's cool. I get it. I I I, I get high and watch throwback shit uh, with with my sister and my my boy. You know, what I mean, it is what it is. Um, you know, watch my, my get high, watch my wife and kids or with my sister. We get high and watch Bullseye. <laughs> it's just funny. It's just hilarious. Um, but we did watch Lazarus Project yesterday. Great fucking show, by the way. If it, if if that show is as good as the pilot is, oh my gosh, I'm in for a good whale of a time. But anyway, yeah, I, I just art is just art as a whole, culture as a whole is just getting crushed by capital. A lot of things are just not done for the love, <clears throat> and you know I'm still of that. I'm very principled in that, um, and I don't want to co- co- compromise on that. Um, if it means I don't get my foot in the door in the overall sense then so be it i'll i'll die on that hill um because i i just don't i just don't feel i wouldn't feel right in my soul just like uh just sending my shit and obviously i have to sell my shit but you know sending my shit to the point where it's just um oh pop it on netflix no 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 let, let me give me the give me the data and i'll make it you know what i mean stuff like that i want to be autonomous in that front uh, when it comes to like distribution, I want to be there on that front. But anyway, I'm talk I'm talking about my new stuff. But overall, I, I do I agree the culture's dying. Yeah, probably. Um, you're either you you're either you're, you're three types of people. You're either um you're either becoming you either get very localized. You either become very worldly, or you just become that mushy middle ground where you're like everybody else and you just listen to what the radio puts on uh you listen you, you watch whatever you know bbc one's plug in you watch whatever itv's plug in uh and yeah just shit like that and you watch whatever's in the cinema and you know we've talked about this before uh, everyone's taken the di- taken to the disney model blockbusters cinema everything else streaming and that's not right that's not right it really isn't. I'm so blessed to see something like Everything Everywhere All at Once in the cinema because it was an amazing experience. But we just don't get enough of that. It just those kind of moments. You, we just do not get enough of that. So culture is dying, and the reason for it, in 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 my mind, I mean, one, capitalism, but two, people just don't have the urge to. Uh, scream and shout about it.
speaking of uh, people screaming and shouting, uh, this is a more positive element of that. Uh, so this is by, I'm, I'm going to say, it, she's one of my favourite writers right now. I'm just enjoying her. I enjoy her journalism. Um, I enjoy her uh, opinion uh, pieces, of which this is one. Um, but this is uh, by Miss Nadine White uh, from The Independent. It's called Making a Windrush Documentary Showed Me How the TV Industry Fails Black Viewers. And uh, I've put a link to um, the kind of precursor to the documentary, uh, which was her long read on Barrel Children. Um, go And I read it uh, as, I think it was like the first long read I did. Um, go give that a spin if you want to give it a spin. Um, and uh, yeah, go peep the documentary, uh, which is literally the first link um, here if you on the first line if you want to peep this article as well. Um, so yeah, let's jump right in. My documentary on barrel children has been four long years in the making. Wow, didn't even know that. Where I hoped it would have come to fruition much earlier, this experience has given me lessons aplenty about the challenges presented to black filmmakers. I thought it would be wrapped within a year, but the project faced a number of setbacks. I enjoyed numerous conversations that felt like onslaughts, where I was sharply reminded of who decides and what is worthy of broadcast and why. A suit of one white run uh, white run production company who claimed to be quote unquote looking for diverse ideas scoffed quote no one is waiting around to hear about this I promise you unquote but shows about penguin shit <laughs> a random sex shop in Brighton and the most interesting toilets are considered to be riveting in Britain Christ another declared uh, the idea of Bower children of a Bower children documentary based entirely upon black intergenerational experiences too niche. What even is that in an increasingly multicultural society? It's one thing for an idea to require development or to be utterly bizarre. It's quite another for the experiences of entire communities to be routinely dismissed, and therein lies the issue. Moreover, the resoundingly positive transatlantic response of the barrel, uh, to the Barrel Children trailer alone only serves as a as confirmation that there is great interest in these tales and the suits are out of touch. Well, I was uh, always acutely aware of the lack of black documentaries on TV, I lacked real insight into the behind the scenes politicking before 2018. By having contacted several production companies, broadcasters and funders, which are mostly white run around January of that year up until 2021 to pitch the idea, I got no joy or love. Inspired by my late father, I set about telling the stories of children who grew up away from their biological parents in the Caribbean raised by extended family members and then forced to move away from them. The parents of these so-called barrel children, such as my daddy, left to rebuild war-torn Britain between the 1940s and 1970s. Often their children only knew of them through the barrel care packages, which were sent back to their island nations. Uh, Many were eventually sent for to join their parents in England, finding themselves in a strange world that made little sense to them, some children grapple with displacement after being detached from their caregivers and familiar surroundings. Um, great book recommendation on this front. Um, a, a Circle of Five um, by... Uh, gonna get the name, gonna get the name, something Harris. I'm so bad. I'm gonna look it up while I talk because I need to remember the fucking name because it's a really fucking good book. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And I can't find it for the life of me. Wow, why is it not on my Audible? Where is it? Why is it not featuring? There we go. Har- uh, Harris Joshua. There you go. Harris Joshua, A Circle of Five. Really great. Um, Just a book in general. Uh, uh, telling the stories of five women 
who were basically that, barrel children in some way, um, and uh, had very different experiences, and it was a very riveting uh, book. And a very imperfect, um, and about very imperfect characters, like some of them are very, you know, have really jarring opinions that have an age well. Um, so, yeah, it is very fascinating. The trauma that arose, um, authentic, by the, by is what I should say, um, but yeah. The trauma that arose from these experiences of displacement and separation has spanned generations. I've always been cognizant of the pain it caused my dad, and I know my uh, many other families uh, are like ours. Yet, for some reason, this has been explored in a great deal on British television in recent times. It struck me as most curious at post-Black Lives Matter when a record number of major broadcasters and streaming platforms created schemes and pledges to increase diversity, it now appeared that some of these gatekeepers did not think this blackety-black idea warranted airtime. From Netflix to the BFI, and in between, I've been refused resources and funding for this project, even though initiatives described, uh, described as being geared at first-time filmmakers from diverse backgrounds, along with other black applicants I know. Black filmmakers make, just, make up just 1% of successful entrants in the world's major competitive film festivals, while black talent is underrepresented across the country, particularly off-screen. This is not for a lack of effort on the part of talented people. Very few black directors have broken through in the UK. Even trailblazers such as the late Menelik Shabazz, who emerged as a self-made director in the 1980s and dedicated his life to telling our stories, attested to the systemic inequalities. This is not all in our heads, but the system is... Uh, yeah, this is not all in our heads, but the system isn't broken. Worse than that. It was never actually made to facilitate our advancement in the first place. That's, that's, some, that's, some, that's some poetry right there. In 2018, I set about securing footage myself. And that's what you're watching here. Uh, it's in the, in the link, by the way. Uh, I thought that if I could demonstrate how compelling these testimonies are, the bigwigs would take it seriously at some point. I didn't want to become a household name through the production or eat well off it. I simply wanted to tell these important stories. At the time, I had no excess funding to approach this idea in a big way. And then she came down to a prayer. Me, my videographer, cousin, and his reasonable quality camera, along with a couple of cheap lights. Over the ensuing months, we drove up and down this country from Derby and Birmingham back to London to the homes of Barrel Children, where I interviewed them about their experiences being left, of being left behind. These interviewees sh shared much of themselves and their pain with us often being generous enough to cook or prepare food for us when we visited. It was warm, and that's the thing about community. The names of our interviewees were largely sourced through referral from personal networks, and my cousin and I were egged on by family members, friends, and, my local, and local community members. Of course, most people declined to be interviewed when approached because the matter is deeply personal and often uncomfortable to openly discuss. Uh, it was a grassroots operation uh, through and through. The likes of Patrick Vernon, Dr. Elaine Arnold, regular legend Dennis Brown's family, broadcaster Daddy Ernie, uh, even Jamaica's high commissioners to the UK, Seth Ramakan, I think I'm saying it right, uh, uh, and others spoke life into us, which renewed my sense of purpose and vigour, despite each callous rejection. While some politicians and commentators often inaccurately pontificate on the supposed innate dysfunction of Caribbean Britain people, frequently pitting us against our African-Britain counterparts and superficially highlighting disparity in our life, uh, outcomes and experiences, I've been keen to sh explore a painful aspect of shared experiences among Caribbean communities that's too often overlooked in this country. 
the links between Empire and Windrush to Barrel Children and the modern experiences of Blackburns are key to understanding issues related to belonging, identity and well-being. However, some media executives and broadcast gatekeepers prioritise careerism over truth-telling and a commitment to public service, which is about uh, which is what a good documentary is all about. At the time, I was fresh out of university, working in admin and inner city council to make ends meet, while juggling part-time funded journalism school studies and writing articles for free to try and break into the media industry as a news reporter. Race uh, and racism were the leading subject matter uh, when a program centred on a black person in 2021, followed by crime and music, according to a study by Lenny Henry Centre for Diversity at Burnham City University. Uh, Barrel Children sits across the intersection of history and race, but wasn't taken seriously. So Lenny's research, Black in Fact, uh, based on a study of programmes made last year, also urged broadcasters to work with black-owned production companies, have more black commissioners, executives, and channel controllers who are also willing to, quote-unquote, facilitate authentic storytelling. I've always been a daddy's girl, and it's only as I grew older that I realised the experience of being left behind was not just his alone. As he's And as he's no longer here to speak his truth, as he used to, I've since strived to do that for him. The story of Windrush has come into painfully sharp focus since 2018, but the Battle Children phenomenon is less well known and all the people affected by this deserve to have their stories told. The consequences of, displace, of this displacement has, have been far-reaching, and unpacking, this is at, and unpacking this is as much about collaborative healing as it is storytelling. That's the rub. All in the name of empire, after all. As far back as slavery, the formation of stable black family, uh, relationships has been made very difficult. Enslaved black people lived with the constant possibility of separation through the sale of one or more family members. Thus is the deeply personal nature of these experiences, that many find it difficult to unpack the harrowing effects until this very day and examine how it has wounded and estranged relatives from one another throughout the ages. Just prior to joining the publication, I was able to afford to work with a few professionals such as Lisa Golden and Jack Feeney to shoot a key, uh, and develop key aspects of the documentary. When I entered in, into Conversation Independent about bringing a short version of my production to platform last year, I was in the middle of saving up to finish the project and screen it independently, which at high quality was estimated to cost up to £100,000. I don't have that kind of money lying around. If we didn't collaborate, then it would have been a much longer process, which, though exciting, made me think about the many budding talented documentarians who don't have access to any platforms at all. When I started making this documentary, I was 25 years old with a slightly girlish optimism. I'm now approaching 30 and slightly bruised by the journey and the knowledge that so much still needs to change. <sighs> oh gosh, this is, this is just it's kind of depressing me in one way because I'm just like, okay, if Nadine White... Like just one of the best um, fucking uh, writers right, going right now... Uh, obviously, you know, she wasn't on the level she is now, then she was at 25, I get that, but fuck, the, the fact, oh god damn, it is it's such a painful just um, thing to just think about, honestly, of just, you know, the story itself is, um, I mean, I, I think there's just a deep uh, connect- connection that should be made here, where we talk about Windrush and, you know, we talk about certain parts of uh, of that whole story as an origin and how, um, and how uh, Caribbean, British uh, people have come so far. 
but we don't talk about that aspect of it. Um, and you know, it's cheers to Nadine White, of course, because I wouldn't have known about Barrel Children if it wasn't for her. If it wasn't for her doing the long read from a while back, if it wasn't for her doing the documentary and uh, persisting with it, albeit a shortened version, I would love to see the full version. I would love to see the money put behind this. Um, but you know, go spin the go spin the go spin the documentary. Um, give some support on that front, and just go learn about something, guys. Just because, yeah, man. Because I like you know we're talking about culture and all that shit. This is the shit we're talking about. And, uh, you know, the, the the Telegraph article didn't talk about, you know, the intersection between, you know, race and whatever. It was more about the overall um, outlook. But look deeper, and that's kind of why as well, um, you know, getting, we need those original stories. We need those original stories, and especially those originally original and diverse stories. We need that shit. Really do need that shit, especially in however and funny enough the census has come out recently so i'm waiting for the race stats on that one by the way uh, uh office for national statistics get the fuck on that by the way um but yeah even with that coming um and uh with the inevitability that uh you know this country's getting more and more multicultural still still people want to act like uh being white is the status quo and it's just not. It's not for all of us. Trust me on that. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is one of those rare episodes where I do three t- three segments in in an hour, and I'm just like, okay, <laughs> well, still got to do a fourth one. So, uh, but yeah, no, this is an important one. Um, I kind of wanted to find an article that was uh, talking about the media um, and how they treat uh, union workers and the working class and stuff like that. Um, you know, obviously linking towards the. Uh, recent strikes uh, by the RMT and uh, I think barristers aside as well and inevitably I think I feel teachers are going to do the same a lot of pe- a lot of unions are going to do the same um, during the summer um, but this is a very good primer I feel on how just um, the media has been seeing uh, union workers and striking and how they kind of brainwash uh, the public um, f- t- towards this and making strikers as uh, out as the enemy. Um, so this is an article from 2016 uh, by Christopher Hart of Lancaster University, uh, specifically senior lecturer in linguistics at Lancaster University, and it's called uh, "War on the Picket Line: How the British Press Made a Battle Out of the Miners' Strikes." Um, so yeah, let's jump right in. The recent Hillsborough verdict, 2016 by the way, you know, 2016, 2016, 2016, okay? So, let's just just get out of the way. The recent Hillsborough verdict highlighted the way the British press demonised Liverpool football fans while justifying the actions of South Yorkshire police in their coverage of the disaster. In light of this, calls have been made for a similar similar Hillsborough-style public inquiry into the policing of the British miners' strike between 84 and 85. Uh, with newspapers facing fresh allegations that the coverage of the strikes amount, amounted to a quote-unquote propaganda assault on the miners. The miner strikes started when the Conservative government, led by Margaret Thatcher, announced the closure of Cortonwood Colliery, Colliery? Yeah, Colliery, I think so you say it, in Yorkshire. This was to be the first 
of 20 pit closures and with many more believed to be in planning uh, it led to be the longest running it yeah it led to the longest running industrial action in britain since the 1926 general strike my recent research which involved analysis of both news language and press photographs at the time showed that this year long strike was portrayed by newspapers on all sides as a metaphorical war between the government and the National Union of Mine Workers. It shows how the media use war-framing words, phrases, and photographs while reporting the strike, often drawing the on iconic texts and images associated with World War I. This framing presented the miners as the enemy, while at the same time it justified the actions of the government and the police as necessary and even noble. This war-framing is likely to have had a significant impact on the course and eventual outcome of the strike, as research has shown, the metaphors helped to shape public opinion. The war framing even worked its way up into government policy making. And there's actually a Sun uh, pay, uh, front page here from uh, March 1984. And the headline is, Pit War! Violence erupts on the picket line as miners uh, fights minor. And there's a woman with a gun. Literally a woman with a gun. That's crazy. Uh, the, the war metaphor was established from the very beginning of the strike with the headline in the Sun uh, newspaper on the 30th of March, 84, Pit War, I literally just said it, uh, a few days later, in reference to violence at Ollerton Colliery, uh, the Express described, quote, rampaging armies of pickets at the besieged Nottinghamshire Pit, unquote. Uh, later, the Sun went on to describe, quote, an army of 8,000 police at battle stations in the bloody Pit War, unquote. Police officers and picketing miners were seen as soldiers on opposite sides of the quote-unquote war. Arthur Scargill, the then president of National Union of Mine Workers, I'm going to call it the NUM, the NUM, uh, by the way, uh, for, for sake of time if it comes up next, uh, was described as an army general in the Express and a dictator in the Sun. News photographs uh, painted a similar picture, drawing subtle analogies with World War I in particular. Images of wooden stakes at Orgreave, South Yorkshire uh, resembled the barbed wire barricades associated with German defences in the Battle of the Somme. Pictures of police on horseback were reminiscent of mounted warfare typically associated with cavalry charges in World War One. Even peaceful moments that were captured on camera, such as football match played between police and miners at Bill's Thorn Colliery in Nottinghamshire, stuck to the war narrative, with the image bringing to mind the celebrated 1914 Christmas Day football match between German and allied forces. This was reinforced in the caption that accompanied the photograph, which described the football match, quote, played on no man's land during a break from picketing. <laughs> oh, they're so, they're so avert. Like, they literally call it no man's land, you know? That's crazy. That's, that's, that's mad. At the end of the strike, the front cover of The Sun showed a picture of a blooded uh, uh, police officer accompanied by the headline, lest we forget... <laughs> Oh, what the fuck? That is mad. This is demonic. This is actually demonic. This evocative phrase is associated with the Ode of Remembrance, where it, uh, where it is added as a final line uh, to the fourth stanza of Lawrence Binion's uh, poem For the Fallen, written in 1914 in honour of British soldiers who had already lost their lives in World War One. It serves to compare the efforts of police officers during the strike with the sacrifice of British uh, soldiers during the Great War. 
the war metaphor eventually became part of government policy. This can be seen in cabinet documents recently released under the 30-year rule. Thatcher was encouraged by her policy unit to pursue a war of attrition with the miners. <sighs> man, man, man. There's actually... Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, with the miners' strike uh, thought of in terms of a war, it helped to define the miners as the enemy who must be defeated. Uh, this meant that any chance of compromise or resolution in the strike was very much diminished from the beginning. The war metaphor justifies the violent uh, actions of the police uh, on the front line uh, at Orgreave. Uh, analogies uh, with World War One, in particular exploit collective emotions associated with key historical moments and arouse feelings of both national pride and prejudice. Constructing the miners' strike as a war was one way in which a powerful media demonised miners just as they did with football fans at Hillsborough while the same time uh, while at the same time justifying police practices it also helped pave the way uh, for the government's hardline policy towards the miners had the media followed uh, an alternative strategy in linguistic and visual representations of the strike it may well have taken a different and less violent course so while I will say um, it's not that bad now um, I do feel like the media is, um, while not great, I'm just going to say that, not great in any way, um, I do feel on the striking front for this year in particular, and what's going on right now, I do feel that um, some, a very small amount of media outlets are doing the right thing, covering it in a, in a in at least a... Uh, a, ne- a, a, a net, uh, a net objective, neutral way. Um, unlike you know Sky News and Kay Burley, basically referring to the minor strike very uh, explicitly and saying, "What are you guys going to do if um, agency workers uh, try and try and go to work?" And uh, Mick Lynch, I did say, I, I will say, I did say Mike Lynch uh, last episode. So apologies for that. His name, his full name's Michael Lynch. So I wasn't completely wrong but you know he's he goes to it goes to he's referred to as mick lynch so um apologies for that um on uh, uh, uh you know as a uh from from last week um but yeah he says well we're gonna pick at them and he knew what she was going with it because of course you would and you know um a, a day after uh he was on politics live the host i forgot i don't know her name but she's low-key just a, a horrible host um basically referenced him as a baron um or like intimated I- I- that he's a baron it's just it's just not that's not that's not what we're here for um so yeah you know the media are still doing it they're still doing the bullshit um oh oh whoa and uh, i'm going to end i'm going to end the episode there because um you know obviously you know i've gone a bit long and um, i just got the news ladies and gentlemen and i'll finish up here um that r kelly has been sentenced to 30 years in prison for sexually abusing women and children. Wow. That's crazy. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, from the 5th and Podcast Network, I've been Charlie Taylor and it's been Mosgood. Intro music has been too much by Vanilla. Thanks to Chill Breakers for being to use the tracking. You can find both of their links in the full show notes. And thanks to Nappy High, friend of 5 Nappy High, for the ability to use Charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, a little short there. There you go. I streamlined it. Uh, hope you all have a good week. I shall always always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.